reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, nor he, or he may be become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for Robin and for us. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for instructions in how to live and to give you glory. And we pray now for Robin that you bless him, that you speak through him, that his words may be your words. And for us, I pray that we have ears to listen and hearts to receive and to be challenged by you to walk more like you, and to be a blessing to this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So three weeks ago, um, I was talking about um, serving one another and talked about servant leaders. And those are the kinds of people we want to have in positions in the church. But how do we figure out the right people to do that? Well, um, it's October, and although you may, you may think it's a little early, uh, the church leadership is already thinking about the annual general meeting in January. Uh, specifically, we're thinking about two things. We're thinking about the budget, and we're thinking about new members to come onto the council to replace those who are stepping down. So the budget's easy. The budget, Well, not easy, but the budget's simple. Um, it will be prepared by a budget committee and approved by the council and then presented at the annual meeting. That's pretty straightforward. Selecting members for the council is a little more complicated. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I'm so glad that James um, didn't do what he jokingly said he was going to do. He, we, he asked me what the service was going the topic of the sermon was going to be about uh, this morning and i said um choosing leaders and stuff like that i said so i need to find a, a bunch of good you know worshipful songs about church structure <laughs> i'm so glad he didn't do that <laughs> so like most international churches st paul union church is actually not part of a denomination okay um, we are part of the Missional International Church Network. That was a conference I was at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's not the same thing. That network is full of churches of all kind of different kinds of churches. Most of them are like us, pretty independent. Um, some are members of international denominational groups like the International Baptist Convention. A bunch of them are Anglicans, so they're eventually, you know, um, ultimately answerable to the Archbishop of, Can Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, but most of them are not denominational in identity. And we actually have all kinds of people in this church. 
from all kinds of church backgrounds. I've often mentioned the theological diversity in our midst. So we have Calvinists and Arminians, Pentecostals and Cessationists. We have complementarians and egalitarians. And if you don't know what any of those categories mean, that's okay. Um, we try not to major on theological differences. That's why our, our statement of faith here is the Apostles' Creed. We figure pretty much every Christian can agree with that. Um, I was talking with a Baptist uh, minister in Bangkok at the conference, uh, the church that he was pastoring in Germany, um, has four statements of faith that everybody needs to agree to before they become members. Now, now I'm, I'm ordained in the Baptist church, but even I think that's a bit much. As a church, we don't have to choose our theological position and reject others. We don't have to be Calvinist or Arminian. We can accommodate all kinds of different theological positions so long as they're Christ-centered and Christ-honoring. Unfortunately, we can't do that with church government. We have to pick a model and run with it. So what I want to do today um, is look at the ways in which leadership responsibilities were, were delegated in the New Testament. Um, I'll look at two things. The processes that we see in Acts and the character requirements that we see in the pastoral epistles, okay? So I'm sorry to all the, um, all the visitors. Uh, this may not be the most inspiring message you'll, you'll hear this month, but it's important that we do this for the congregation. Um, but before we do that, I actually want to look at the three forms of church government that have developed over the last 2,000 years. And yes, there are only three of them. It's not bad after 2,000 years. So the oldest is, is Episcopalian, where Church leaders, like pastors, are appointed by a hierarchy um, of existing leaders. So uh, the pastor is appointed and accountable to his or her bishop. And so authority flows down from above in that system. And so that's a system in Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, some Lutheran churches, some Methodist churches. So if that's your background, that's what you'd be used to. The other two, Presbyterian and Congregationalist, go back to the Reformation and developed as a reaction to the abuse of power in the uh, Catholic Church. So congregational churches are self-governing and the whole congregation is involved in decision-making, although they often delegate that to a board or a council. So in, in congregational churches, authority flows up from the bottom. So if you're a Baptist or a Congregationalist or a Mennonite or Quaker, then that's probably what you're used to. It's also, interestingly, the way that most synagogues function. Presbyterian churches, I think we have a lot of Presbyterians here, um, are somewhere in between, and I hope nobody will throw, throw anything at me. Um, they're governed by elders who are chosen by the congregation, but a regional council of elders called the Presbytery also has authority over some things. Now, St. Paul Union Church here has a constitution that says that we're con congregational in structure. It says, the government of this church is vested in its members who exercise the right of control in all its affairs. But the day-to-day -day running of the church is delegated to the church council. It says the church council shall be responsible for the regular management of the temporal and spiritual affairs of the church. So these are givens for this church. Depending on your background, you may find that either quite normal or quite strange. But that's what we have to work with, okay? So as we start the process of replacing council members who have come to the end of their terms, I thought it would be a good idea to look at how this was done in Scripture, recognizing that those who hold to each of these positions 
I've mentioned would argue that it has a scriptural basis, okay? So the first time we see leaders being chosen in Acts is in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. So Peter argues from scripture that they need someone to replace Judas, probably because of the symbolism of number 12, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And that passage ends like this, verse 21 of Acts chapter 1. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So what they're doing here is they're using the time-honored Old Testament approach. You see David doing this a lot. You know, should I go? You know, he asks the Lord, should I go and attack this this town? And you know, they cast, they pray, and they cast the lots, and Block says either yes or no. Um, so that's what they did. They uh, they presented two people uh, and um, cast lots, as, trusting that the Lord would control the fall of the lots. Okay. So that, this approach was having. People nominated from the community, there's about 120, but as many people as there are here in this room, actually, in the uh, Acts, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1. Um, and then asking the Lord to choose between them by casting lots. That's the first time. Next time people are chosen in, for service is in Acts 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So in this model, um, people are again nominated by the congregation. Then they're presented to the leadership for approval, who then publicly appoint them to their positions. I've always had a problem with this passage in the way it's translated. Um, verse 2 literally reads, it would not be right for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. It doesn't say neglect the ministry of the word of God. It just says neglect the word of God. Okay? And verse 4 reads, and we will give our attention to, to prayer and the service of the word. It's the same word for serving tables as for serving the word. Same words, diakona, dia, diakonia. Um, so different people are gifted for different kinds of ministry. Diaknia, service. It's all service. So um, that always bothers me that when translations, you talk about the ministry of the word and serving tables, and then the ministry of the word again, when it's actually the same word for serving tables and serving the word. Uh, it kind of sets up a hierarchy that's not there in the text. Okay, 
pet peeve done, okay? Um, the final example is Acts 14.23. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and, fa- and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So here the people who planted the churches directly appoint leaders over them. Now Mark and I have had a long conversation, well, a relatively long conversation, most of it by WhatsApp, um, about this passage, particularly about the word translated the point there. One of the commentaries sums it up like this. Um, the verb means to choose, I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I'll probably mess it up, it means to choose or elect by raising hands. But it can also mean to appoint or install directly. Here in the Galatian cities, the initiative was taken by the apostles in the appointment of elders, but probably with the concurrence of the congregations. So these are very young churches. So it's appropriate for Paul and Barnabas to appoint leaders. The same is true for Titus in Crete, who's told to appoint leaders in the churches there after Paul preached on the island and left. But Timothy in Ephesus, where there's been a church for 10 years, gets different instructions. One commentator writes, Note that Paul instructs Titus to also appoint elders on Crete, but to Timothy in Ephesus, Paul says, Let the church select persons with certain qualifications. In new areas, leaders were appointed, but in established areas, leadership traits had a chance to be manifested and affirmed by the local church. So here, St. Paul Union Church, we use a version of the process in Acts 6. We ask for nominations from the congregation for people to serve on the church council. Then the council looks at the names put forward and prays about them. Then they present as many people as there are vacancies to the congregation for the ratification by their vote. We don't have competitive elections where you have multiple candidates for one position. This is not about campaigning for a position. In fact, if someone were to try and get themselves nominated, it would probably pretty much disqualify them. It's not a popularity contest. It's about seeking to understand the will of the Lord as the Spirit speaks in the midst of the community of faith. The congregation puts forward names. It's the responsibility of the current leadership to vet those names and then present them back to the congregation for ratification. It's not democratic, but it is consultative. Okay? The process is not democratic, but it is consultative. There's a consultation goes on between the congregation and the, um, and the leadership. The council gets as much input as possible from the congregation, and then they present the new council members back to the congregation. If we on the council do our jobs well, the people presented at the annual meeting in January will be ratified by the congregation, just as happened in Acts 6. Okay? So that's the process. What about the kinds of people that we're looking for? For that, we look at the pastoral epistles, where Paul gives instructions to Timothy and Titus, men he had delegated to deal with issues in the church in Ephesus and Crete. In 1 Timothy 3, where the passage that was just read, Paul lays out the qualifications for overseers. The Greek words are episkopi and episkopos, from which we get our English word bishop and episcopal. The words literally mean overseer, a person who is responsible for the watchful care of a people or a work, someone who has an oversight of, of, of something. These are the same people that in other places are described as elders. Elder is perhaps more of a Jewish term. 
and it's a term of honor for older men who would give wise guidance to the community. Overseer is more of a descriptive term for what they actually did, but they're actually the same people. So what are we looking for in a church council members? I'm going to run through Paul's list and look at that, okay? The basic requirement is that they be above reproach. That doesn't mean perfect. Literally, the word means not to be laid hold of. A similar idiom in English would be something like, you can throw mud at them, but none of it will stick. Okay, that kind of a person. They live a life of integrity, and they don't have any reason for people to bring any charge against them for doing wrong. And then the rest of the list that Paul gives us fleshes out what that means. It says, faithful to his wife. The expression is actually more of a, a one-woman man. A one-woman man. In the first century, it was common, especially for upper-class men, to have mistresses and even homosexual lovers at the same time as being married. So it was important to be clear about the biblical standard for marriage. Now, most scholars today would say that, that this does not exclude divorced people from leadership. That understanding came later as a church declared marriage to be a sacrament that was binding for life. That's not how marriage is viewed in the Bible or in first century Jewish society. I'm going to be combining some of these, so you don't have a great long list. Um, temperate and not given to drunkenness go together because both words are related to wine. Now, wine was part of the culture of the first century. Paul tells Timothy to drink wine, not water. So it's always a danger for overindulgence. But neither word means total abstention from alcohol. Temperate means restrained or holding yourself in check. The idea is of um, reining in a horse. It's you know, keeping in control. In fact, the temperance movements of the 19th century weren't in favor of banning alcohol, but rather its moderate use and the avoidance of drunkenness. So temperate and not giving to drunkenness is about how people manage their, their own consumption. Um, Self-controlled, not, not violent, and not quarrelsome are about how they relate to those um, around them. Okay? People in leadership should be able to keep themselves under control. Not just at the table, but in conversation as well. It's not helpful when you get all riled up, when people disagree with you, or if you see something that you disagree with. Sometimes you'll see leaders who deliberately lose their temper as a way to motivate their followers. That's not acceptable in the church. Leaders need to be gentle with those they lead. This is a good thing to remember when currently there's a lot of talk in some sectors of the church about the need for strong leaders, which often in practice means abusive leaders. And we see that again and again. Leaders are supposed to be gentle with those that they lead, not abusive. Those who lead should be respectable, which basically means living in an honorable way and have a good reputation with outsiders. The good reputation part is because the reputation of your leaders directly impacts the reputation of the community and that directly imp impacts the reputation of the gospel. Okay? It says hospitable. The word translated hospitable literally means loving strangers. It means welcoming people into the community. People who welcome folks into the community, not those who build walls around it. It says, not a lover of money. That's pretty self-explanatory. 
likewise managing their families well. It says they need to not be a recent convert. One of my mentors pointed, pointed out to me many years ago that the term elder is a relative term. In a church that's made up of t- totally of new believers, someone who's been a believer for a year might be qualified to be an elder. But they wouldn't be qualified in a much more established church. It's a relative term. Now, if you've been paying attention, and I haven't totally bored you, um, you'll realize I've missed one of the, qual- missed one of the qualifications. Um, able to teach. That's because in SPUC, the pastor has traditionally been essentially a, te- a, a teaching elder. In that way, is a bit of a Presbyterian flavor to our model, even if it's mainly congregational in the way we, we run things. So people don't need to be gifted teachers to be eligible to serve, serve on the church council. But they do need to qualify in the other areas, okay? Once again, this is not a demand for perfection. I'm sure there are many people in this congregation who fulfill most of these qualifications easily even if they might struggle with one or two. My personal struggle is the not quarrelsome one. As many of you know, I enjoy a good debate. Marilyn would call it an argument. More than once, I have been kicked under the table by my loving wife as a signal to back off. (laughs) I hope that doesn't disqualify me as your pastor. Since this is a very practical message, and I'm hoping to see some nominations appear in my inbox in the next few weeks, I also want to say something about gender. Although some might try to, you really cannot make an argument from the masculine pronouns here, he, him, his, that only men can serve in this role. One reason why that doesn't work is that the word overseer in verse 1 is actually feminine. It's episcopate. It switches to masculine in verse 2. At least partly, in my opinion, anyway. Because sexual promiscuity was predominantly a male issue. And the first thing on the list is a one-woman man. And after that, all the adjectives agree with the masculine form of overseer. But I think that's more a grammatical thing than anything else. Now, I realize that some people disagree with this. And I respect that. But this is the way that SPUC has chosen to work. A couple of years ago, the council did an in-depth study on this issue and came to the conclusion that all roles in the church are open to all members based only on gifting, not on gender. That's how SPUC has operated from the beginning. So it wasn't anything new, just a revisiting of the issue so we were sure where we stood. We have female council members and we've been blessed as a council to have their voices and experience in our discussions. And we've also had female preachers here in the pulpit. So, my biggest concern as I prepared this message this week was that it wouldn't just be a lecture on church structure. Uh, Well, I'll leave it to your judgment whether I've succeeded in that or not. But because it's a sermon and not a lecture, um, I hope, uh, I want to give some suggestions for application, okay? So the first thing is, it's important that we recognize the diversity in our midst. Not just diversity of theology, but diversity of what's called ecclesiology. That is our understanding of what the church is and how it works. 
and it's important to recognize that diversity and respect it. I hope we can also recognize that the way we do things in SPUC here does have a biblical basis. But then so do the other approaches. This is not a first order issue. It's not in the same category as the deity and resurrection of Jesus, okay? This is a second, maybe even third order issue. Um, it's about how we are just about how we run the church. First Timothy 3 says that whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble, ta noble task. The way to show yourself eligible for serving is to serve. Okay? The way to show yourself eligible for serving is to serve. We're talking about servant leaders here. So alongside the character requirements we talked about, we'll be looking for people who are serving in the church already. People who care about and invest in this ministry that we have here. Finally, I do want everyone, well, everyone who's not a visitor, which is about half the congregation this morning, uh, <laughs> I do want you to be praying and thinking about uh, who the Lord might put on your heart as a potential council member. We really do want to hear from the congregation. And we, we believe that the Lord speaks in the midst of the community, that the spirit is given to all of us. And so we need to actually act as though we believe that. And so it's, it's everybody's responsibility to be listening to the spirit about who might be coming up, who might be a possible um, uh, new person on the council come January. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, Lord, I thank you that people have paid attention this morning and didn't doze off on what's actually not a, not a really exciting topic. But Lord, it is an important topic um, that the, the ordering and government of your church should be done well. Um, as a reflection of your sense of order in the world. So Lord, we pray for your, we pray for each one of us for your guidance, um, your, um, that you would bring names to mind. Lord, that you would uh, help us to discern who you would have coming onto the council for the next year. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have a rich and mature congregation here, rich in, in wisdom and experience and mature in walking with you. So Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, we want to pray for the, some of the issues that have arisen this week. Lord, we pray particularly for the families of the 41 people who died in the mine explosion in Amsa, Ams. Amasra, um, Lord Jesus, we pray for them. May they find comfort. And we pray for those who um, were injured in that, Lord, um, and recovering. May they recover quickly in hospital. Lord Jesus, uh, mining is such a dangerous occupation. You know, I just pray for your, your grace upon their lives. On miners around the world as they burrow into the ground for for our benefit. Lord, we pray for the um, protests in Iran. 
for particularly for the families who have lost sons and daughters, and it just seems to be, or either to death or to prison, and there seems to be a a pattern of targeting minors by the um, uh, young young people by the uh, security forces. Oh Lord Jesus, we pray that you would uh, restrain the hand of violence. And Lord, we pray that, um, yeah, a, a solution would be found there. That we pray that these might be the first days of change as well. And that some of our Iranian friends, and brothers and sisters here might be able to return home. Lord, I pray for the UK. Um, midst of an economic crisis. Um, yeah. And just the sense of uncertainty about what the future holds, particularly for those who um, find it hardest to manage. Lord, we pray for some kind of return to normalcy, um, whatever that looks like. Um, particularly, Lord, we pray for compassion for those who are suffering most and likely to suffer most through the winter. Lord, yeah, we pray on a wider scale for those who are suffering from climate change. Um, floods in Pakistan and Nigeria, droughts in Madagascar and parts of the US. Um, so many different impacts around the world, Lord. We pray for those who are seeking to alleviate the suffering in these places. And yes, Lord, we pray for resolve by our leaders to make hard decisions to address the long-term problem. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters meeting around the city today in worship for Turkish church and for the Russian church and for the Iranian churches and for the, um, the African church and so many others, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the joint service that we had a few weeks ago and we pray for the for your body, your church in this city, Lord, that it may grow and witness for your for your kingdom. Finally, Lord, we pray for the, the Wilsons as they leave for two months, two busy months in the US. Lord, we pray for Seljuk, the um, security guard here, who is in intensive care with a, a brain bleed. Pray that you would um, Restore him to health. Give wisdom to the doctors, Lord. And we pray for David Tilby, Lord, um, who fell last night in the rain and dislocated his shoulder and his neck and just got home three o'clock this morning for hospital. Lord, we pray that he would swiftly re regain use of his arm and all that kind of stuff. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Amen. <laughs>